welcome to the Health Tech Podcast. Here we talk about everything healthcare and technology, and I'm your host, James Somaru. Everybody, so this week I am joined by David Albert, and he is the founder and chief medical officer of Alive Corp, which, for those of you that don't know, is the global leader in FDA cleared personal ECG. So, David is an Oklahoma native and a physician, inventor, and a serial entrepreneur who's developed life-saving technologies and products over the last 30 years, turning a number of those innovations into tech startups. Today, he's the founder of three companies, InnovAlarm, Lifetone Technology, and AliveCore. His previous startups include Corazonics Corp, which he sold to Arrhythmia Research Technology and Data Critical, which he sold to GE. David left GE in 2004 as chief scientist of GE Cardiology to disrupt several new markets. And here he is today doing just that. So David, welcome to the Health Tech Podcast. How are you doing this morning? I say this, it is this morning for you, right? I'm, it is this morning. I am in Los Angeles, California, and it is as usual. A beautiful sunny oh. morning. Uh, my my home of Oklahoma is in the middle of zero degrees and two waves of snowstorms. <laughs> uh, you may I don't know if the news gets to you, but we've had a tremendous storm that has knocked power out throughout the state of Texas, which is large, and Oklahoma, wow. Louisiana. It snowed in the North Gulf of Mexico, which is wow. an amazingly rare. It's a black swan kind of event. So wow. A lot of uh, uh, a lot of weather news. You brought up weather in London, but uh, there's a lot of weather news in the United States right now. Wow! I did say, you know, we're British, therefore I'll probably ask you about the weather. And there we go. What 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 an entrance! But bright and sunny in Los Angeles at the moment. It is bright and sunny. And I yesterday I was on a call with uh, collaborators and friends from the Mayo Clinic, and they had told me the night before it had gotten down to minus 42 degrees Fahrenheit. <sighs> So uh, I'm glad that it'll only get to 70 degrees Fahrenheit. <laughs> they did not want me to talk about that. <laughs> uh, I was going to say you're rubbing in your good weather, but actually it sounds like there's the good and the bad over there in the US. So it's, yeah, it's just temperate and, and boring over here in the UK, uh, overcast and gray. But anyway, we'll get on to more exciting stuff. So David, you've got an incredible background, obviously building and selling companies, what you're doing with AliveCore now, incredibly exciting. AliveCore is a company that I followed for a long time. The, the different products that you've released, I've had my hands on most, if not all of them throughout my time. And, and, and kind of for me, it's it's one of those companies and one of those products that, that has been with me my entire journey through health tech, quite frankly. It, it's, um, it's, it's been around and, and certainly made a lot of impact in that time. And so I'm looking forward to getting into it. But the first question That's that I'm going to ask I'm you. old, James. I've been around. <laughs> well, you know, there's, uh, there's, there's some benefits that come along with, with uh, age and wisdom and experience. Yeah. And certainly it's, it's certainly been the case looking at your background. But as I say, the first question that I'm going to ask you is for you to tell your story, sir. And so it'd be good to get a, a flavor and an insight into uh, how you got to where you are today. Well, it's a crazy story. Um, I was a, a traditional uh, medical student at Duke University. And in the, uh, right about 1980, and my father, who was uh, uh, quite old, had a, a myocardial infarction, a heart attack. And I went back and stayed a couple of weeks with him in Oklahoma. 
And the last thing they asked him to do when they discharged him, because he had an isolated circumflex lesion, by the way, uh, his LAD was clean, which is why he lived to be 91. Wow. Uh, is, is, yeah, he lived another 20 years, by the way. So nice. it didn't really impact his life. But, but they said, we want you to exercise. So cardiac rehab and exercise up to a heart rate of 110. Well, I knew my, uh, at the time, 70-year-old father was not going to be able to measure his heart rate. There were no Polar chest straps, Apple Watch. There were none of, none of the products we have today, no Fitbits, no anything to measure your heart rate. And so I went back to Duke, and one of my classmates had been an undergraduate engineer, biomedical engineer at Duke, and I asked him, do you, do you know anybody who might be able to make a heart rate monitor? And he referred me to a friend of his who was in grad school, had been an undergrad with him, but was in engineering grad school at Duke. I went to this guy and I gave him $200. Now, $200 in 1980 to me might as well have been a million dollars. My ramen noodle budget was just extended about eight months. Absolutely. Uh, uh, so at the end of about two or three months, he came to me with a circuit board, with all these wires. And he said, well, it doesn't work, but I'm not going to work on it anymore here. And he didn't give me back my money, by the way. <laughs> uh, and I was so upset. I was very upset. So I had no idea what I was looking at. I had no clue. And, and I had always thought, I'm just going to go become a cardiologist. This is, I'm going to be an academic cardiologist. I was in a research lab at the time, and I had eight months left of medical school. So I was in my fourth year headed out. And I got so upset. I went to my father and to the dean of both the engineering school and the medical school at Duke. And I said, I want to become an engineer. So for the next two and a half years, I took a leave absence from medical school and I went to, I took undergraduate classes in multivariable calculus, fluid mechanics, oh my God, circuit design, digital design and uh, programming, et cetera. And during that time, I developed a couple of inventions. I actually got a patent and, nice. and licensed one of them. And then I finished eight months of medical school. And I went back to Oklahoma, took my brand new bride, who I met at medical school in her, my last month, her first month. Uh, and, you know, went back for training at the University of Oklahoma. And it, it, it came to be about 1985, 86, when I developed an invention and nobody wanted to license it. And I'd license to, let me just put it this way. When my friends were, you know, residents, uh, registrars in your case, mm -hmm. uh, and, and, you know, living a very lean life, maybe slightly better than medical school, but not much. I was driving a Corvette I had a good <laughs> luck because I had made some money by selling some inventions. So I, I was, kind of spoiled, I was a spoiled brat at the time. And so <laughs> what I did was I got angry again and I said, nobody wants to license. This is a great idea. It's a great invention. I actually built the thing. And, um, so when nobody wanted to license it, I went to my wife and my dad and I said, you know what? I'm going to drop out of training and I'm going to start a company. I knew nothing about starting a company, zero. There were no accelerators. There were no rock health. There was none of that, zero. And this was not something that's done normally as opposed to today where, you know, five years ago, they surveyed third and fourth year medical students at UCSF and Stanford. And about half of them said, I'm not going to practice medicine. Wow. Because in the heart of Silicon Valley, they hear the word startup and they of see 25-year-olds driving Lamborghinis and they think, hey, maybe that's <laughs> right. 
and and they see their their peers, you know, the residents working ninety hours a day, and so that 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 it's unappealing. I must admit, so you know, I I went. The, by the way, my father and my wife were not that happy. We had a baby. Neither, neither was mine. <laughs> uh, they they said, well, "What are you doing?" Uh, the the chief of cardiology at the University of Oklahoma, late Dr. Ralph Lazera, and my mentor at Duke, late Dr. Galen Wagner, both of whom were really giants in in cardiology and 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 ECGs. By the way, convinced my wife and father that this let Dave try this. It's okay, you know if it. Nice. lovely and i haven't looked back Amazing. so you know uh 34 years ago uh, i left clinical medicine and i haven't looked back and i've, I've stayed very connected so I, I work with my friends at the university of oklahoma and have for now over 40 years uh and you know i i started a company and i sold it and then i started data critical and ended up selling that to GE and went to work at GE for three and a half years and finally figured out that that wasn't what I wanted to do the rest of my life. But in the company I'd sold to GE, I'd had an idea, actually a British company, which I don't even know exists anymore, called Scion, P-S-I-O-N. Okay. Scion was a British company that made a clamshell computer. And I developed a personal ECG device. You had a cable and a cell phone and an EKG device, it was a kludge, but it was a Rube Goldberg kludge, but it worked. And the idea was sending ECGs directly from a person to a doctor. And the internet was brand new. This was about 1995, 96. But I, I got a patent and I, in, in my company, we never commercialized it because it was way too complex and not practical with all these different things people couldn't have done. So fast forward to, 2007, and you know, smartphones became something real. And in 2010, you could actually write apps for smartphones. And so I have a partner in crime, uh, actually two of them, who live in Australia. So I'm used to strange accents. And, <laughs> and uh, uh, they they live in the Gold Coast, which is uh, for for Americans that's the Fort Lauderdale of Australia. It's a resort town right on the beach, lots yeah. of surfing, lots of, of uh, sun and sand. And and unfortunately for them, sharks, but that's. <laughs> um, and so I said, I think we're going to take the smart, we're going to take my idea, we're going to implement it finally in a practical way. And he said, mate, because they call everybody mate. And Absolutely. Said, uh, it, 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 it's not possible. And I said, I got an idea. I got a crazy idea. And he's smart enough to realize that sometimes my crazy ideas work. About 90% of the time they don't, but this one worked. And so, you know, we built the first devices. We actually went to Hong Kong and had a manufacturer manufacture prototypes. And on December 14, uh, 2010, which was my birthday, uh, I received a box with 15 prototype cases. Smartphone cases, because remember, you still have cases. Well, some, I, I do have a case, but back yep. then, you really, you know, these things were precious and you kind of petted them and so <laughs> you get injured. Uh, and, and there weren't so many of today cases. There's so many different kinds of smartphones. Cases are difficult to make. But at the time, we had cases. And so on December 30th, 2010, I actually went into my office and I made a four-minute video, unscripted, 
because the next week was the Consumer Electronics Show. And, and I was going to show this new cool invention, this smartphone ECG, to a bunch of companies. And there were three or four companies that weren't going to be there. And people I wanted to show it to. So, so my nine-year-old, who did Nerf gun uh, modification videos, showed his old geezer dad. <laughs> uh, and he was, he was nine or 10, because he's 21 now, how to make a, a video and upload it to YouTube. No, that's a, that's a true story. I had, mm. he showed me, Amazing. I had a webcam. And so I, I went in and I made this video with this demo and I, four minutes. And, and as I was uploading it, there was a button you could push and it said, send a link to your LinkedIn connections. Well, LinkedIn was my one social media network at the time. I had probably 300, 400 LinkedIn connections. I, I had I, I may have been on Twitter, but if I was, I had like three. Sure. <laughs> and uh, Facebook was only for family. So I didn't use Facebook. Yeah. Or anything. Again, I didn't have very many. I wasn't a big social media guy, but I had X GE people were on LinkedIn. So sure. And, and, and so I had three or 400 LinkedIn connections. So I clicked that. I don't even know why I clicked that, mm. but I did. And then I put upload and then I left. And so the next day was New Year's Eve, and I had a really nice date with my wife of 37 years. Still. Oh, lovely. Uh, and we have four kids, by the way. So we and grandkids. I'm granddad. It's really oh. cool. Uh, so about uh, midnight on New Year's Eve, we're celebrating. We're drinking champagne and jumping up and down. And I'm trying to kiss my wife. <laughs> I get a call from my friend in Australia because it's, it's, you know, like midday for them. Mm. He said, mate, what did you do? <laughs> what do you mean, what did I do? He said, we have 150,000 views of that video now. Whoa. Well, by the next day, which was a Saturday, I got called by uh, Good Morning America, Fox and Friends, uh, CNN. Wow. And my video, my son, who my oldest son, who's a, a staff at, uh, at Cedar sinai is a physician, called me from Duke. He was an undergrad and said, dad, I have friends who've heard your video on the radio in North Dakota. <laughs> oh my goodness. I was like, what happened? These people all wanted me to be on their shows that they ran from Consumer Electronics Show, which is a big deal. They all have people there talking about the latest things. And so I went there on Sunday night to Las Vegas and I was booked to get up at four in the morning, basically each morning for Good Morning America, Fox and Friends to be on their 4 a.m., 7 a.m. on the East Coast <laughs> shows. That was hell of a deal, trying to get into the convention center at 4 a.m. And they had people come get me and stuff. And, and I was inundated at the show. And we had, by, by, by the Consumer Electronics Show, we had like three or 400,000 views. And uh, uh, we had all kinds of, people getting a hold of us. Wow. And so I went back and and my my nine, 10 year old, the guy taught me how to do videos, runs up to me when I get home. He says, Dad, you've made it. <laughs> made it? Says, you, <laughs> you know might have you sold a company it. to GE, but now you've got you 100,000 people on YouTube. <laughs> because you have YouTube haters. There it is. There Dad, it is. Yeah. you know you've made it. Because there were some people, this is a really cool story, uh, there was a Slovakian biomedical engineering block <laughs> and my Australian partners are all on the internet, like 24 seven. Okay. These sure. guys like barely sleep and they had 
translated, Google Translate, this Slovakian thought, because <laughs> they've been searching Google for, you know, smartphone ECG and stuff. And these guys were having this conversation that it was all fake. This couldn't happen. You can't do that. It's impossible. And, and, the, and the great line, I'm sorry for your listeners who have uh, sensitive ears, was <laughs> smartphone ECG, fake as bitch. Okay. Yeah. It was fake as bitch. My daughter, <laughs> who's our oldest, made me a t-shirt in the, in the original <laughs> of, I, with, with the, a picture of it fake as bitch amazing and uh that was the beginning so then i had somebody you will have heard of literally the next week uh, a person who i knew of but i did not know dr eric topol calls wow. me gets my number and says dave i got to get one of your devices <sighs> and uh i said eric you know we have mutual friends uh the former fda commissioner uh rob caliph was the second author of my first paper at Duke and uh, had done all the Timmy studies, all the thrombolysis and myocardial infarction studies with, with Topol in the 80s. And um, so we had friends and I said, sure, I'll send you one. And of course, later he diagnosed an acute STEMI on a flight and had it landed and AFib. And of course, he's probably the famous cardiologist. And so yeah. he put us and put a live core and me in each one of his three books. We're, we're in every one of his three books and he signed them to me. Thank you, Eric, if you're listening uh, <laughs> and, uh, and we're good friends and he's a, been a huge supporter, never received anything from me other than that first prototype. Wow. Uh, and so, uh, you know, that just started it. And later that summer, I raised a round of venture capital and a live core came to life in the summer of 2011 and, you know, overnight success, nine years in the making. There and it today, is. Uh, you know, I, I, I like to tell how we've had lots of competition from very large companies and we've grown our company by 500% in the last four years. So it has uh, not hindered us to have the world's biggest companies be our competitors. Now, you know, I, I, I can't control who's going to think this is a good idea. The good news is other people think it was a good idea too. I was just there first. And, you know, today... I can say that unlike many digital health entrepreneurs, James, I came from academic medicine. I came from having, uh, you know, I, today I have 71 U.S. patents and many, many international patents. I have 25 510Ks that I've gotten. That's FDA clearances, yeah. marks, MOH in Japan, et cetera, all over the world. And what I tell you is today we have 130 peer-reviewed papers mm -hmm. on AliveCore. And, uh, you know, in the UK, we have many, we've had many, many studies done, published British Journal of Cardiology, British Medical Journal, Lancet. Uh, we've, we've had a lot of, of support by people who saw it as a kind of a game-changing innovation with my original idea of connecting a patient directly to a physician and cutting out any barriers and middlemen, you know, the notion of making the notion of friction-free capitalism and what the internet done, we wanted friction-free data transfer, yeah, friction-free care. And so, you know, today, um, our first year, another funny story is the first year of AliveCore, we didn't have FDA clearance. So we <laughs> sold our device to veterinarians because oh, there's no regular. So if you Googled 
a live core veterinary, you would find it's, it's used by literally thousands of veterinarians around the world, dogs, cats, horses, mm. grizzly bears, <laughs> dolphins, eagles, <laughs> seals, monitor <laughs> lizards. You cannot imagine Excellent. all the critters that have had a live core ECG taken. Wow. And it is amazing. Um, and, and one thing I learned, I went to the veterinary school at Cornell University, which is one of our leading veterinary schools. And they, they have a, a horse treadmill that can go like 60 miles an hour. He said, the one thing you don't want to do is sit behind, stand behind it. <laughs> you know, well, because the horses are, you know, they just go when they have to. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, but, but what I learned was, is that race horses develop atrial fibrillation. If you overtrain a racehorse, they develop atrial fibrillation. And so being able to monitor a horse and diagnose a horse in AFib. And, and the, uh, along that storyline is I went to Oklahoma State University, in, which is a, has a veterinary school, and they're only in like 26 in the United States. Uh, and I went to their ICU barn. So as an intensivist, you understand ICU. Absolutely. Well, this is an ICU barn, and they had ICU stalls. And they took me up to this one horse and they said, okay, doctor, diagnose this horse. <laughs> and the horse had had the slept. I said, well, this horse had an infection and it's recovering. He said, yes, but it still has a problem. So I go up to the horse. It's like an exam scenario, isn't it? <laughs> it, it, it what it was, I was being tested yeah. uh, and I failed, by the way. Uh, so I go up to this horse and I, I put my smartphone ECG on the horse and I go, well, this horse is uh, in Winkybach. So about every fourth QRS is dropped and I can see the P waves at, at a heart rate of 60. So I would say it's, it's Winky Bach. And they said, no, this horse is tachycardic. The normal heart rate is 30 for a horse. That's and so this horse is, is tachycardic and, and they are normally in Winky Bach. They are <sighs> so vagal. And so uh, I failed by my veterinary. Oh. <laughs> I, I will not be a, uh, 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 but crucially, the trace was correct. The trace was correct. Exactly. I, my interpretation was wrong. Exactly. And so, that was only because of prior knowledge about uh, equine physiology. So Bipeds. I was a biped only kind of guy <laughs> at the time. So I, I uh, think, you know, we've, we've had uh, evolved uh, uh, a, a guy who's kind of a, uh, a digital health uh, futurist, a guy named John Nasta, who's a friend of mine, calls me the father of digital health, along with Eric Topol. Amazing. I think I told him I'm the grandfather now, but Eric's a grandfather too, it, because we've been there in 2010, digital yeah. health is really nascent. Uh, and, and we've seen the evolution of accelerators, things like Rock Health. I was in San Francisco with a live core when Rock Health was started. And, and now all over the world, there are accelerators, Berlin, London, mm. Amsterdam, they're global, you know, Shanghai, Hong Kong. So, I've, I've watched, we've grown with the growth of digital health. And, um, you know, today, every major hospital, I, I could tell you, uh, your, your top cardiologists in London are all live core users. And, and some of them are friends of mine, uh, whether, you know, it, it's the Brompton or, or yeah. uh, uh, it, it, it doesn't matter. They all are. And, and, and they've, you know, the NHS uh, bought thousands of our devices to give to GP yeah. surgeries. 
and and we've been involved in in the innovation program at the NHS. And today we're very involved with Nice, uh, and I'm I'm learning about that organization and how <laughs> they are a gatekeeper of new technologies. But you know, that's not irrational. That's rational behavior. But so we're we're growing. We're today in 37 countries around the world. Um, the whole of the EU plus now the UK, uh, as well as the Scandinavian countries, uh, and then around the world, uh, you know, Australia, New Zealand, uh, Hong Kong, uh, and, and we have global partners. So Omron, uh, the Japanese company, global company that makes uh, probably the most popular blood pressure cuffs, uh, is, a is a global partner of ours and is helping us distribute around the world in places we are not because they are global and they have distribution around the world. And so, you know, we anticipate in the next several years that you'll be able to, to have access to a live core almost anywhere in the world. And, wow. and that's, that's, that's kind of the realization of my original vision. And it doesn't matter if you're in Africa. And, and what's helped is, you know, you can go to India where we are now in India and we're in South Korea. These are two countries we went in directly. We have a team in India. Um, you know, you can go to India, uh, you can go to China, and you can buy an Android phone for less than $50. So that means that the barrier to having a smartphone ECG is very low. And, and you know, lots of places in the world, 100 pounds, 100 euros, that's a lot of money. And so, you know, I, 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 I promise that AliveCore will continue to push for global access as we continue to push for science and innovation at the same Amazing. time. So that's 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 kind of the story and brought us to where we are today. And and uh, what an know. awesome story yeah. it is! And, and you've made my life as a podcast host extremely easy with that wonderful, engaging story that's uh, <laughs> taken up a large part of the episode, which is uh, ideal for, from my point of view. But there's a few things now, that I want to ask me questions. You know, I've got now. I've got to think some questions, right? Like, oh, I've just been sitting here, my popcorn, just enjoying the show. But uh, no, I've got to, I've got to ask some questions now, right? So. The first thing that I want to ask about, I want to go right back to, to the 80s when you talked about you were a medical student and then you did engineering. Now, this is something that I see playing out a lot more of late, people going into medicine with a different degree behind them, be that computer science, data science, engineering. I, it's my, When I speak to these people that have done those two different things, they see the world of medicine in a very different way. They see it solutions focused rather than problem focused i think by my own admission as a as a you know purebred clinician and that's all i was and all i had you know i could only see the world through that lens when i was trying to solve problems it seems to me that doing that engineering and and all that fluid mechanics and all, all the rest of it that, that you've done there and design and, and everything a bit of a loaded question because the answer, the proof's in the pudding here with the, with the answer being a live core and all your other companies, right? But did, that must have given you a, a real unique way of looking at medicine compared to all the other people around you because of the fact you can see it in terms of things I can build to solve these problems, which must have been really exciting. Well, what was satisfying in the beginning was there, no, there were no more secrets, and so it was the, I watched the early days of MRI become a clinical tool uh, and, and CT scans mm -hmm. and echocardiograms. Those were not mysteries to me. I know Interesting, how they work. Yeah. I know. So, so, you know, before I had no idea how they work. 
I, yes. I see the pictures and I learned, I can learn to interpret the pictures and learn to interpret the echocardiogram. I was, I was around when we had the first color flow Doppler, uh, a company, a Japanese company called Aloka. And I knew how that worked and uh, actually built a Doppler ultrasound machine. Uh, <laughs> so what I would tell you is, it's one of the things I sold. What I would tell you is that that, that gave me insight into the limitations of those devices and the limitations of those technologies. Uh, they are miracles. And today we have new miracles, mRNA vaccines, okay? And so you have physicians who come out of molecular biology and biochemistry and genetics, and, and, and that gives them a unique perspective on another whole area of innovation in medicine. And I come out of the technology side where we have our devices, our pacemakers, our defibrillators, our imaging systems, and, and that gives me that perspective. I, I think in the future, you will have, uh, and, and I know this because the chairman of our board is a, is a famous venture capitalist named Vinod Kosla, who was a co-founder of Sun Microsoft. Absolutely. <laughs> and he wrote, he wrote Vinod is a good friend of mine, and he, he wrote his 80%. 80% of what doctors do would be done by AI. So AI, everybody, yeah. AI, AI, AI. Big believer in AI. I believe it's augmented intelligence, not artificial. Doctors are overwhelmed today. We are not everywhere we need to be at all the times we need to be there. So we have to augment ourselves. We're going to have, you know, nurse practitioners, paramedics, people delivering care. They need to be augmented. And that's where AI will, will have great contributions. I don't, I get tired. So if I'm reading chest x-rays, I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, at two in the morning, I don't want to miss something. Yes. And so that's where AI can help me not miss something. Okay. And so I see technical people, you know, not just biology majors, zoology majors, and, and, and they come in because we're dependent on our computers. We're dependent on our, our genotyping, our sequencers. We're dependent on those things. You know, we will be dependent on CRISPR-Cas9. We'll be dependent upon mRNA. Uh, we're going to be dependent on those things in medicine and the ability to understand how they work and understand their limitations. You know, CRISPR, fantastic technology, also creates a lot of off-target changes that sometimes we see as, as, as real issues. In fact, there was a clinical trial just stopped a gene therapy because, well-known, some gene therapies can cause cancer. You, you, mm -hmm. we got to understand the limits of these tools so that we can refine them and get them under control. And, and that includes AI. So some people are scared. Elon Musk scared about the dangers of AI. Everybody's waiting, waiting for, uh, you know, the Terminator to show up. Um, Is that justified I, in your view? Uh, no, I don't think so. Because I, working with AI all the time, I mean, it, it, it does very specific tasks well, but it generalized artificial intelligence, self-awareness. Uh, I don't know when that'll be, but it's not. I probably will be pushing up daisies by the time that happens. <laughs> um, so I, I just tell you that that's why technical aspects. And then there's just the, the whole, you know, encouragement of entrepreneurship. You know, we in America are, have, have challenges. And one of them is we sit there and go, well, 
them socialists over there in France, they don't have, well, they don't even have a word for entrepreneur. Uh, uh, sir, that's a French word. Uh, <laughs> French word. <laughs> okay. Uh, so entrepreneurship, whatever your economic model is, is endorsed in China, in India, in France, in the UK, in the US, everywhere. And, and because we have now two generations of successful entrepreneurs. We have the Bill Gates, the late Steve Jobs, the, the founders of Intel, Grove and, and more. And now we have the Elon Musks, okay? We have a next generation. We have Sergey Brin, Larry Page, you know, we've got a next generation of successful entrepreneur billionaires. Uh, and, and, and then there's a generation coming after that. And so that has generated this entire ecosystem globally of entrepreneurship, of innovation, and we in medicine are not immune. So we have digital health and we have uh, gene technology. And so I see all of those things converging and they encourage technical oriented people to go into medicine. And uh, so I'm an optimist. I have to be, I'm an entrepreneur. <laughs> Yeah, I love if, it. If I, if I was a rationalist, I'd never would have done it. You know, <laughs> I would have listened to my wife and my dad, and uh, and I would have said, "Yeah, you're right. That's <laughs> scary. It's all a calculated risk. It's all calculated." It, um, it, it, yes, just make sure that you can. Uh, one plus one equals five. That's it. That's it. As long as you really believe it is five as well. That's um, right. keep, keeping keeping with the global theme, obviously a live core is global, very global, aggressively global. Um, the problems that AliveCore solves around the world fundamentally is the same. It does the same thing around the world. I imagine, though, the problems it actually solves around the world and the way that it does so slightly different. I imagine AliveCore is used in different clinical pathways. It's used sometimes by individuals, more B2C. It might be rolled out in entire systems or entire countries and in, in other places. Has it been interesting, a challenge, easy, in order for you to globalize it in that way? And I'm, I'm really interested, I suppose, in, in what problems are you solving around the world I'd, when it I'd comes love, to healthcare? I'd love to take credit for it. <laughs> users have been the innovators, James. Okay. First of all, something... You know what we've done? We've gone through it in an, almost an entire podcast and not mentioned COVID once. Well, yeah, it's <laughs> a good point. Okay? So COVID uh, has, you know, obviously created a huge new incentive for non-contact care. Yes. Okay. Telemedicine, telehealth. We were beneficiaries of the Live Corps because that's our raison d'etre is, uh, you know, care at a distance, diagnosis at a distance. But we had innovative doctors in Spain. Uh, we had a number of them who used our device in the hospital. Why? Because I can take an alive core and I can put it in the room and leave it. And now I don't have to roll. I don't have to get PPE. I don't have to roll an EKG machine in there. I don't have to, uh, you know, potentially have any transmission. It just stays in there and I have the patient use it on themselves. And I'm sitting outside with my smartphone, not even going into the room, and I can tell what their rhythm is. And, and, and we had people use it because we, we had it used for monitoring QT prolongation. Well, why? Well, because there was a fad for a while 
of using two drugs, hydroxychloroquine and azithromycin globally. We had papers written again in Spain, Italy to treat this and both of those prolonged QT. And, and so, you know, the ability to monitor QT while you're giving these two drugs to very sick people became, and not having to roll carts in and clean them. Or send them to HDU or send them to ITU. Exactly. You know, you could do it the, could, yeah. could, the, the point was it was used in-house. That was an innovation by caregivers. Yeah. It was not an innovation by me. Of course, we've had our device used in refugee camps. I have a really good friend of mine, a Dr. Rod Passman, he's a professor of medicine, cardiac electrophysiologist at Northwestern here in the United States, went to Lebanon to a refugee camp and diagnosed a young woman, young girl with complete heart block. Okay. He sent me the strip and, and, and they were going to get her a pacemaker. Oh I mean, she was goodness. like nine years old and they kept, she kept fainting and they didn't know why. And he said, you know, she's got complete heart block. And so, you know, that's a use. That's, that's an innovation by, by them. And, and, you know, it's been used by medical missionaries uh, in South Pacific islands where there's, you know, a friend of mine found an AFib in an island that has no healthcare. The people, you know, they, they just have no healthcare. They rely on the fact that, and they have a lot of type two diabetes, South Pacific Islanders, uh, are, are kind of like South Indians. They have a lot of diabetes in their DNA. And so we, we you know, I, I, I can't take credit for the innovative uses because they went far beyond my original patient to doctor. Uh, and, and they are, some are B to C and some are B to B and, you know, screening. We've had a number of studies done in the UK where pharmacists screen people. So now they screen them for eight, you know, you're over 65, you come in to get your beta blocker, your ACE or ARB, and you screen for AFib. And we've literally found hundreds of undiagnosed AFib in the greater London area, hundreds. And, and uh, now they'll be able to screen for long QT. Well, why is that important? Because there are only about a hundred drugs that prolong QT. And, and, you know, oh, by the way, we treated your infection and you died of torsade de point. That's not a good, that's, that's not a good outcome. So no. we, we're optimistic that the last line of defense, when somebody prescribes you a drug that has a QT prolonging effect, is that the pharmacist can say, should I fill this prescription? And, and because there are people walking around with congenital long QT, all you got to do is give them a little kick and you create danger. And so we're... We are very proud of the Live Corps that we're making a difference. We're not adding huge cost. We're doing things. We're, we're trying to improve care and improve outcomes, but not make medicine more expensive and improve access. And so, James, you know, I feel good every morning. Yeah. I'm, I'm, uh, you know, at, at, at this stage of my game, I feel good. And this is one thing that's sticking out for me here. It reminds me of, of something you, it was probably the very first thing you said about what actually motivates you and your purpose when you talked about, you know, your father's circumflex artery, you know, it, it's this, it's this driven by purpose, motivated to make a difference. You know, you light up very clearly. I've got you on video here, not the listeners, but you, you know, you light up talking about the impact globally and it goes down to those individual cases and it, you know, somewhat probably our clinician background 
you know, we, we all get that warm, fuzzy feeling when, when someone thanks us or we know someone's got better. Like we, like we get it. You and I are smiling now. Like it's, it's, it's part of us. I think it's part of our, of our DNA that we're so impact driven. I'm interested in the, in you obviously having all this impact through a live call now is one thing, but I don't think you're, you're out the game anytime soon. What impact are you looking to make? Are you, have you got any other ideas? Have you got any other things that you're working? I mean, I'm so interested in in what's the future for for, for David. You know, we, we, from our original live core case today, we have our six lead ECG, which is half the 12 lead in your pocket anywhere, anytime. And, and it opens a whole new range of possibilities. One of which is, is monitoring QT anywhere, anytime. The next one, which is a, a research application, we just announced a collaboration with AstraZeneca, uh, wow. a, a uh, British uh, pharmaceutical company. Yeah. They have a drug called Localma that treats hyperkalemia. And uh, we've got some research and some a paper published in JAMA Cardiology on a non-invasive ECG-based detection of hyperkalemia. And that's very exciting because a number like QT, there are a number of very effective therapies, all your ARBs and ACEs, your heart failure drugs, hypertensive drugs that cause hyperkalemia. And then you've got your chronic kidney disease patients who have hyperkalemia because they don't excrete potassium. And so whether you've got your, your what we call your RAS inhibitors that raise your potassium or you, your kidneys aren't excreting it, you can develop hyperkalemia and hyperkalemia is a is a bad condition that can lead to bad outcomes. So the ability to monitor it, and now the ability with 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 this drug Localma to treat it effectively, uh, becomes a partnership. You know, it's 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 a digital pharma partnership, and I think you know AstraZeneca saw the benefits in that, and and we certainly do. So those are the kinds of innovations, James, that we're going to continue to pursue. Uh, not everything's going to work. But, you know, that's the way science works. You know, we learn as much from our failures as we do from our successes. It's a, and not to trivialize this, but Localma is a very funny name for a drug that reduces uh, potassium. That's uh, for the clinicians listening. I'm sure got that. Well, everybody, you know, <laughs> it's amazing to me is I, all the, the trade names for these drugs. <laughs> I, I just want to be in the room. And because I'm assuming <laughs> most of those people are drinking heavily when they come up with these names. Okay. I'm just, uh, how, we're, how they come up with names. I mean, I, your, your guess is as good as mine. You know, <laughs> we all understand Lasix, right? Cause it lasts six hours. Lasix. But, I've never uh, even thought about that. Is oh, that's brilliant. That, that's I was told that 30 years I just ago. remembered that way better in medical school. If someone yeah, told me Lasix, that. Ferrosamide. What kind of a name is that? <laughs> You know, Brilliant. Well, Jane, it, you know, this is this is we, we are continuing uh, our path of innovation and, and uh, our focus is cardiology and cardiology adjacent the areas like hypertension. Uh, and, and, you know, ultimately, the things that, that that kill people, can we impact things like myocardial infarction, and, yeah. uh, ischemic heart disease? Uh, so you'll see, you know, heart failure uh, areas like that will be areas where we focus our innovation efforts. And I like what you said about essentially the spirit, you know, the spirit of entrepreneurship is, is certainly not going to leave you. Not everything's going to work. We're going to try, we're going to fail. That's how we're going to get better. And that's okay. I mean, it's, it's awesome that, you know, it must be exciting that you can still, you know, go to work and come up with ideas and, 
it's that kind of positive environment for the team and and yeah it must be fun i'm i'm blessed uh the last two weeks i've been co-authors on papers in circulation and jama cardiology nice. just in the last 10 days nice. and so you know i get to still uh, have my hand in clinical research and get to see early on the benefits that that innovation can bring so that that to me is exciting love it David, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on. You've made my life extremely easy on this episode, telling us all those stories and anecdotes. Obviously, what you're doing at Alive Core is clearly and evidently making you know global impact in loads of different ways. Uh, as I say, I've known the device, well, devices, the, the the iterations, and seen it grow and seen it develop from that first from that first one. Uh, actually, a, a consumer electronics show here in the UK, I saw it for the first time, but um. Yeah, it's, it's been with me along my journey in digital health and uh, I certainly wouldn't have it any other way. I've seen it roll out across London and as you said, all these different things. Yeah, I've been, I've seen and been close to it as it's done. So so I was super excited to get you on and uh, I'm, I'm so glad you have come on. It's been an absolute pleasure. Um, for for well, people, thank you, James, for inviting me. It's been very fun. welcome. You're, very, you're welcome anytime on this podcast and we can talk about all the other things that we haven't had time for. But um, if, if people would like to get in touch with or learn more about AliveCore or yourself, what's the best way for well, them to get in touch? I mean, AliveCore.com is, is our, our, our website, which is around the world. Uh, you know, we have Germany. Uh, it, it's localized in, in a number of, of uh, countries. Is, is the best way. I mean, you can always Google, right? We, you, know, you can always uh, uh, search you'll unfortunately find some other videos of me, but <laughs> is that very first YouTube video still available? It is. It's there. Excellent. I'll, uh, I might have so, a look at that and stick that in the show. Not on YouTube. Listening. Four minutes. <laughs> Excellent. I look back at that and go, who is that young guy? <laughs> David, thank you so much for coming on. It's been a pleasure. James, my pleasure. Thank you, sir. Hey everyone. Thanks for listening and making it all the way to the end of this episode. Remember to subscribe, rate us and leave a review and you can head to the description of this episode to follow me on all of my social media so you don't miss out on any of the latest health tech content.